My check, my check. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beat. Tis I, your host, Ross Martinez. Do, 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 do. And for this episode, we have a very special guest, the guest speaker for the 2024 Martin Luther King Freedom Vehicle Parade and Commemorative Service, also the Assistant Curator and Community Engagement Coordinator of the Peoria Riverfront Museum. Without further ado, Everly Davis! Hi. We don't have enough production for noises. That's okay. We got to do it at our own. Okay. It's very like, you know what I mean? <laughs> we just get by. It's community. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I'm imagining everyone's like, yeah. You know, like SpongeBob? Yeah, exactly. Did you grow up watching SpongeBob? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Me too. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Speaking of, Everly, I met you a while ago when we got a chance to, you brought in Alfred Conti. Yeah, amazing artist. Um, since then... I've kind of followed you a little bit on social media. I'm like, ooh, look at what she's doing. And I saw Chanel post that you're going to be speaking at the Freedom Vehicle Parade and service from Martha Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King. So, one, talk to me about how you got that and how does it feel to have that? That is, first of all, like such a huge honor. Um, so, Brandy Bryant called me, and um, she and I have talked about other projects and stuff like that with the museum and schools and all of that. So when she called me, I thought it was just, you know, another one of those kind of calls. Like, let's see what we can do to collab. <laughs> what work you got. And, right, right. <laughs> and uh, then I'm on the phone and she's like working up to, you know, well, you know, we have the luncheon every year. And, you know, da 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 And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Now, keep in mind, I've been going to the MLK luncheon since I could talk. You know, oh, you're Peoria like, native, right? I'm a Peoria native through and through. My grandparents like treat this as though it's another holiday that the whole family has to get together, right? So my grandma traditionally buys like a table, and I've been to like all of these things. So I'm like, oh. yeah, I know what luncheon you're talking about. It's huge. Like, as a kid, I used to think, wow, how do they get like every black person in the city in one room? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean it's that important, you know. And I think it's that cool. Yeah. So when she was like, well, would you be available to be the speaker? I left that line silent for a minute, and I was like, wow. Yeah, take it in, like, what a bit. Like, me? Blessings. Yeah, but I mean, it's um, I'm so honored and grateful to be able to speak to the people in my community and to have this opportunity, so I'm looking forward to it for sure. It's amazing. It's um, This is, what, the 38th year they've done it? Yeah, this yeah. is uh, the 38th year of the national holiday, 95th of Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, birthday. He's mm-hmm. 95, would have been 95. So you've been attending this for... Years. And it's been a family tradition, everything. Yeah. I've gone t- to at least 15 of these. What uh, What's your family say when you told them that you got this opportunity? Oh, they were shocked. And the one year that like we didn't buy a table is the year that I... This is the year you have it? I'm like, wow. Great Cutbacks. <laughs> Look okay. at that. So on Monday, take us through this event. What is actually happening? I heard the theme of this year's event is Stay Rooted. Yeah. So, one, what does stay root, state rooted mean to you? And two, what is the event? What's going on? And what can we expect from it? Mm-hmm. So, I think stay rooted can mean so many different things, right? Um, for me, it's staying rooted in your community, your identity, um, and just where you come from and how do you blossom and grow from that um, and remembering where you come from, right? And honoring that and everything that you do. Um, But the event itself, so, you know, there's the large luncheon at the Civic Center, which there's a bit of a special thing that I'm doing at that, too. What's that? Um, So we're going to have a a special unveiling happen. Ooh. Um, You can't tell me what it is. Well, it's a painting. We'll have to be off mic, because I'm a cheese mosa. I like to know some things ahead of time. Yeah, I'm going to tell you off mic. Okay, okay, go. But, yeah, there's an unveiling. So if, like, people are at the luncheon, there's something special being added to the program. Hmm. 
Um, and so I'll give a few brief remarks, you know, addressing the crowd there. But then following that is that commemorative service, um, like community event at Bethel United Methodist Church at 2.30. And that's where I'll actually be doing a presentation on the topic of staying rooted. Mm. Um, which is ironic because, again, when I got the call from Brandy, she's like, do you have any questions? And I'm like, yeah, where, what's the venue for this this talk? And she's like, oh, it's a church across from Carver. And I start to smile a little bit. And she's like, it's called Bethel. I was like, Bethel United Methodist Church? She's like, yeah, are you familiar? I was like, that's literally my home church. So, like, there was a huge amount of pressure that was lifted off of me because I'm comfortable in that space, but then very quickly added right back on because I'm comfortable in that space. Yeah, because I was about to say, like, it, I have no problem entertaining people that don't know me. Yeah. But, like, when I went home for New Year's Eve and we had a special show that was running, I'm listening to it in my AirPod. Mm-hmm. My mom's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I was like, nothing. Just listening to music. It's like, be social. I'm like, no, no, don't listen to my stuff. Get her. Yeah. It feels, I don't know. It's, like, Yeah, it's almost like you're too exposed. Like, but. you know the real me. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me, whatever this professional thing I got going, let it be, dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've been attending this event 15 times. At easy. Least, yeah. It's going to be at your home church, mm-hmm. in your own community, mm-hmm. for a topic that you're extremely passionate about, that you built uh, a profession on. Yeah. Like, What's that really mean to Everly Davis? Yeah, I mean, it's unreal. Um, you know, before we turn the mics on, I was telling you about how I've always had this passion for black history and just history in general. But then I really honed in on what makes me me um, at a young age. And I used to do like historic site tours and plantation tours and things like that. And my family's looking at me sideways like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Why are you entertaining that? Um, But it's just to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for where I am today. Um, And I think people can get um, lost and take things for granted as like, oh, I mean, of course I can do X, Y, Z today. But all of that had to be earned from someone else's fight. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge that and keep that with me. um, A lot of what I do at the museum does elevate black history, black culture and black art. That's kind of like what I've been branded to do there. And I take that with a lot of pride to be able to do that. I mean, I'm the only one that looks like me in a position like mine at the museum. Isn't that like, an, how is that for you? Because there's moments here, I'm the only person of Mexican descent that's yeah. in the position I am here. I'm in these managers meetings. I'm like the only one there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget the code switch. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to lie that's to you. That's real. And yeah. they'll look at me like, huh? And I'm yeah. like, bro, you understand what I mean? <laughs> no, they don't. So how is that? Yeah. Because um, you're unapologetically putting the history out of your culture, your mm-hmm. people, your history. Yeah. But you're also the only one there. I'm the only one there. And I'm in a very traditionally, like, white and male-dominated space at that. Like, museums kind of are just <laughs> yeah. typically that, you know? And that's not anyone's, um, like, today's intentional setup. That's mm. just kind of what's happened over time. Um, so I feel both a blessing to be able to break the barrier in a space like that, um, and go in there, but there's also a lot of pressure there too, because you're the first one and the only one to do it. Um, so Mm. I gotta make sure that I do it right. I'm thorough and I'm exact and accurate. Um, but it also like leaves a lot of freedom too, because there's no one else that is my predecessor. So So I get to to have fun with it and I get to set the tone. Um, So it leaves a lot of room for creativity. And I have a really supportive team at the museum that also encourages me to be creative and to explore those avenues because it's new for them, too. Do you ever deal with the anxiety of like, I might be the first representation 
of my culture and history of somebody that's never really had a one-on-one with a black person. Yeah. And how, how do you process that? How do you manage that? How does it elevate you, maybe hinder you in some moments? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you got to check yourself. How so? Uh, to remind yourself that you're at work. <laughs> you know? Put the professional mask on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there might be a different way that we would handle this if it was not between the hours of 9 and 5. No, I'm just kidding. But, hey, bro, what you doing around that corner at 5? Like, what's up, though? <laughs> but, um, no, it's one of those things where it's it's a learning curve every single time. It depends on who I'm being confronted with. Um, mm, the situation. Yeah, it's, it's very, like, case-by-case basis. There are some people who... Um, if they've never encountered someone like me, you give them grace because they're coming in with pure ignorance, not because they're trying to be harmful or hurtful or, or any of that, you know? And so it's a learning opportunity for them. But sometimes you get exhausted with, I was not born to be your teacher, mm-hmm. you know? Or like the, have you also run into, it's not racist, but it's racial? Yeah. Like racial comments that you're like, oh, that's just a place of not knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, today's not the day, dog. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm going to go eat some tacos for lunch. Like, let me look. Right. <laughs> you getting some tortillas? Yes. Actually, I am. I'm kind of mad at this comment right <laughs> now. Right. It is interesting because I come from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I've dealt with that throughout. And I'm not just talking work. I'm talking about in my passing life in Peoria. Mm-hmm. And that has been a real struggle initially. Yeah. yeah. I've had to check myself a few times. Like, no, dude, I'm not Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times people in Peoria have called me Gabriel Iglesias. Well, and then thinking about it outside of work, that's also trash. But, like. (laughs) But he funny. Like, if I'm supposed to be compared, like, thanks. I mean, I guess that's a compliment. I don't know. means I'm talented, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Thinking outside of work, too, I've had a lot of instances where I've just been the only person in the room and that have kind of prepared me for my position now. And so it doesn't really bother me as much. It's not always in the front of my mind. Hmm. Like going through school, um, I am a nerd through and through. Yeah. Always have. I get this vibe. Always have. So, I mean, I used to get pulled out of class in first grade to go do math with the third graders. Like I just I've always been ahead of my time. So you didn't need a calculator is what you're saying. Basically. Well, smart yeah. Vance, yeah. Um, but like, you know, in different honors courses and things like that, the kids that get the opportunity to do some of these extra opportunities, and I'm glad that Peoria has some of these opportunities available for me, mm-hmm. um, but they aren't, I think now it's way better than when I was a kid, um, you know, 20 something years ago. But um, a lot of times if it wasn't a program made for black kids, like I was a TSTM kid at the Urban League, um, that... I was surrounded by people that were like me. I could relax, you know, and we were all doing something together. Like you let your guard down. Yeah, you can let your guard down, and you're all just learning together, spending time together, um, and there's a different quality of the conversation that's happening. Um, But then you have other programs and just just one-off opportunities that, you know, they extend to people, and it's like, I'm the only one there, you know? Um, And I never took that negatively, but I think it's prepared me for now. For sure. Like being know? in the professional room? Yeah. I mean, even, like, I was in the honors program at Bradley, and for most of my classes, I was the only black kid in the class. One of our assignments for our honors English class was um, we had to read the Odyssey, and we had to write oh, yeah, um, a paper on a journey that someone in our family had gone on. And so the, like, suggested prompt was, like, write on your family's immigrant story. And I looked at this professor, like... 
<laughs> we didn't come through Ellis Island. <laughs> Do you want the real truth? <laughs> and, and that's what I asked. Like, I stayed after class, and I was like, what am I supposed to say to these people? Like, because it was set up in a way that we weren't just supposed to write this paper and turn it in. We had to have a presentation go with it. And so I had to address this room. And so I was very personal when I addressed it. And I was like, I love how you guys shared all of your stories, but I do not get the luxury of being able to place a name and a location to the people that I come from. Ooh. But I can tell you Ooh. about the odyssey that happened with my grandfather from Tennessee to Peoria, Illinois, and why I am here today. From Tennessee to Peoria. Huh. So. It's. I've been asked this question a couple times for my non-minority friends. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to be the only one of your culture in a room and it's, it's i've never been able to properly convey it mm -hmm. i just feel like a fish out of water yeah like i always feel like i got my guard up and now i can't explain why i do mm -hmm. i don't know if it's conditioning or history or combination maybe of both at some point but whenever i've let my guard down in a room where you know, i haven't seen multiple people with brown faces some things have gone sideways yeah and it's not saying that you know every white person is this way because that's messed up to say mm -hmm. But after years of being conditioned, you're like, mm, P's yeah. and Q's, head on a swivel. Yeah. How has life been growing up here in Peoria, specifically as a woman of color? Um, it's hard to comment on that because I don't have another point of reference. You know? That's a, I like that answer. Like, I just know So like, how this is, is normal. Then let me ask, what has your journey been like here? Because you're Peoria born and raised, yeah. very successful. Mm -hmm. You're pouring your heart out into this community. I mean, as we talked before, you helped, you were one of the founders for Peoria Grown, which I've interviewed, amazing organization, doing great things. We'll talk about arts partners, uh, Sky Art Peoria Committee, um, the ESA program you also help with. You're doing X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three, all this. So how's your perspective been of living your life in this community? Um, I think I've always felt that there's, at least from the black community, maybe it's because I grew up in church that I felt very supported in what I wanted to do. Um, I always felt like I had eyes on me, though. And I remember having like conversations with um, you know elders around me and things like that, that when you get special opportunities, you're not just going for yourself. You're re representing us. Um, so there is a certain pressure that comes with it. Um, but I think that's also healthy because it's a checks and balances. Like, I'm not out here a while and doing crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pushed me to do my best. Um, and then I think to compound that, like, I had my daughter when I was in college. Um, and I know that I got some flack from people that used to support me um, that were like, you're going to end up dropping out and you're going to become a statistic. You're going to be, a you know, another one of those, like, black single moms that's struggling and da, da 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 And so I so strongly wanted to be the antithesis of that. And I think that is what has gotten me to where I am right now. Yeah. Um, is I wanted to say yes to every opportunity that didn't obviously have a red flag. Hmm. And so I think that's why I'm involved in so many different things. But I'm also saying yes to things that are fun. And I love a challenge and I love learning. Um, so that's why I said yes to arts partners and saying yes to working at the museum and yes to volunteer opportunities like Peoria Grown. And, um, you know, there are things that I've done with like Art Inc. as well, because I believe in the bettering of our community through organizations and groups like this. I just reached out to Art Inc. today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want that interview so bad. I just came across <laughs> it. I was like, ooh, what's this? 
And I'm, I just, I yeah. love that. So I worked at Art Inc. before I worked at the museum. Oh, so you had your hand almost in all these different areas within mm-hmm. the community. Yeah, yeah, I was a program coordinator for them. I actually started off renting space from them because I had my own business called Spanish Circle. I was um, teaching family and lease-style classes that were bilingual. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and that kind of like just fell apart. Um, but yeah, when I found out right now that you speak fluent Spanish, I'm like, adiosito, gracias de Dios, otra persona aquí en Peoria que pueda hablar mi idioma. I'm like, yes. I switched right back. Yeah, <laughs> you can't take the South Side Mexicano out of the kid, you know what I mean? It's always in there. But that's yeah. awesome. Like, who instilled this driving passion? Because there had to be some mentor somewhere along your life that's like, hey, you get presented with something, but look at the silver lining. Yeah. And push yourself. Or has that always just innately been you? No, I think it's talks with my grandfather. Grandfather? Yeah. Talk to me about him. Yeah, he's a driving force for me, for sure. And I didn't really identify that until I got older. Um, hmm. But I had, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up because my parents were working. Um, and just knowing that I had working parents that were trying to provide something better for us was also another driving factor. Like, sometimes you have to sacrifice um, spending some of these good quality time, you know, like with your family or friends or doing things that you want to do because you have a goal and you know that you have to just put your head down and work until you get there. Yeah. Um, and so in the time that my parents were working, I kind of was raised by this village, right? Huh. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that's also why I felt so supported by my community is because I was not officially in like latchkey or an after school program, but as my dad, he was a custodian for pure public schools. Um, as he's cleaning schools, whatever school that he was cleaning, because he started off as like a swing custodian, so we were at all the schools. I've been in every single District One Fifty school. <laughs> um, <laughs> your jerseys in the rafters, like I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've played in all the gyms by myself. <laughs> Number fourteen. What's up? <laughs> Um, but as he's cleaning schools and if there were teachers there, they would just bring me into their classroom and they would let me help them clean or grade things. And I think that's also what nurtured this love for learning that I have. And I got ahead because it was some days I'm at middle school, so I'm helping grade multiplication homework, you know, different things like that, um, that helped me get ahead. But both of my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather were in education, um, and I mentioned earlier that my grandfather came from Tennessee to Peoria. Both my grandparents did. I think my grandma, like, more so just followed my grandpa. <laughs> but he had... If I had a strong woman, I'd follow, too. Like, I yo, mean, what's up? Like, come yeah. on, like, lead, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but he um, has always been very vocal about his story. Um, and I remember taking a newspaper article during Black History Month to, like, my second grade class, I think. Um back at Heinz, and everyone else is doing their reports on, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and um, Rosa Parks, Mary McLeod Bethune, things like that, right? And I brought in, and I had done my presentation, I interviewed my grandpa, because he's my black history. Um, And there are newspaper articles on him from in Peoria, um, because he was the first to do several things here. What stuff? Um, There was some position at the administration building where they he kind of helped break that barrier of having um, black people in position at the administration building for District 150, um, as well as he was the first one for Illinois Central College to have their own offsite like a uh, counseling office. Um, so he he's done things here, and I might have it a little off, but I know that he's done um, things where he was the first one. 
right? And he didn't set out to do that. He just set out to provide for his family. Um, <laughs> but he always had Peoria on his mind. So he grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, and um, he likes basketball. And so he saw, like, Tennessee State play Bradley. And Who's his team, though? Huh? Who's his team? I don't know. I don't follow the sports. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read books, Ross. Leave me alone. <laughs> I and calculate back, numbers. This is back when he was a kid. Um, um, so he followed so, Bradley, Tennessee. So he saw them play this game, and he was like, I like the way Bradley plays. Um, he knew that as the baby of 10, he was not going to go to college unless he got a full scholarship on his own. So he put his head in the books, and he made sure he got the best grades possible. But he was also going to segregated schools, right? And so he was doing the best he could with the resources that were available to him. He was offered an academic scholarship from Bradley, and that's what took him from the South to the North. Hmm. Um, when he got here, he got his degree. Um, he did play when he was here. He played basketball. Um, and, you know, built his life. And so for me, and I'll touch on it, you know, on Monday as well, there are some people that look at Peoria like, uh, like we live in the Midwest, whatever. But I'm living in a location that was my grandfather's desired location to thrive. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're thriving. Me, exactly. And so for me to also, you know, bloom where I'm planted is amazing. Mm, is this stuff you're teaching your kid? Like, hey, look, look at the lineage of, yeah. of what we've been doing. Have you yeah. taken the time to, like, explain the process of, like, the journey and all that to your child? It's harder for her to understand. She's she's just turned eight. Um, oh, she's young. She got so yeah, much life. She's got so much. Um, but she definitely understands, you know, that hard work pays off. You have to have vision and a goal. Um, and my grandfather's been talking to me like that since I was in, like, kindergarten, you know? And he would tell us stories of what it was like to live in the segregated South and all these things. That's why I don't... I don't take me being able to have fun around the city for granted. Hmm. What are some stories that stuck out to you that you now use as teaching lessons during your curation and whenever you're having these moments of opportunity to teach the community? What are some lessons that have been passed down through stories? Um, I don't even know if they're stories specific to him, but there are things um, that have stuck out to me in my time doing research for Preston Jackson's Bronzeville to Harlem, an American story. That's one piece of art um, or a conglomeration of several sculptures um, that I get to, I get the honor of working with basically daily, um, being able to research and uncover those stories and share those. Um, and just being able to see that some of the little freedoms that we take for granted, like being able to go and hang out and wherever we want, after dark that's huge mm -hmm. like being able to just have a kickback at your house and not worry about it getting shut down and everyone getting arrested like mm -hmm. um learning about the great migration and the harlem renaissance informs so much of what we can appreciate today um and so i get to share these stories and also like not everything is grim <laughs> there are things, you know, to celebrate. The Harlem Renaissance wasn't grim. It was an explosion of culture. For sure. Yeah, and it wasn't just in Harlem. So So what aspects of the Harlem of, of that have always intrigued you that you've, like, stuck onto? Because I hear a lot of creative people, they bring that up. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big moment of culture, specifically minority culture. Yeah. And literature, music, 
Uh, that's when tagging and uh, b-boying, b-girling was happening. It was an entire revolution. Was that around the same time that hip hop kind of like started becoming the mold? Um, or was it like shortly right after? Shortly right after that, yeah. Because you had the seventies coming out the seventies into the eighties mm-hmm. was when funk disco was mm-hmm. like really huge. Yep. But in Harlem, you started having these kickbacks of guys taking yep. the breakdown of the beats and. Mixing for the b-boys and and the mm-hmm. poets that end up becoming MCs and yep. oh I got my history over here that See? I love <laughs> I may yeah. ask you a lot of hip hop history today because I'm a nerd <laughs> yeah and I mean but it all goes together like history and like all of our stories are not created in a vacuum no um you know they all play off of one another and I think that's something that I'm learning more and more is that the world is very small like have you seen chain of events in history you're like oh I didn't know these all lined up for this. Oh, yeah, curating the Annie Malone exhibition. I was like, what? Because at first I was like, I don't know, like, if it really fits in this space with um, Bronzeville's of Harlem. And then everything made sense. The same people that Annie Malone was talking to and doing business with and inviting into her spaces, um, which if you don't know who Annie Malone is, she is our nation's first self-made millionaire in the hair care industry. Um, she was the predecessor to Madame C.J. Walker. She was the one that informed her on mm-hmm. how to create product, how to sell, how to create your business, all of that. Um, and so, you know, as she's becoming a mogul and an icon in her own right, she is interacting with some of the same people that um, Harlem and Bronzeville, Chicago and St. Louis and all of these big cities that are defining spots for black culture and culture in general for the United States. Um, she's hand in hand and across the dinner table with these people. Um, so I was like, yeah, no, I can't not see how all of these stories come together. Mm-hmm. And even if you bleed into other exhibitions in, in the museum, we have a folk artist um, on view right now. His name is Purvis Young. He um, hailed from Miami and he was just like just this prolific painter, right? He would paint on anything he could get his hands on. Any type of canvas. Anything. It doesn't have to be canvas. Cardboard, old table, a door, a blanket, anything <laughs> he can get his hands on. Um, just a scrappy guy, right? And he's creating these amazing works that we now have in our museum. And most other major museums are looking at him, too. Um, and... He, he was inspired by a wall of graffiti that was in Bronzeville, Chicago, called the Wall of Respect, um, that had gotten painted over. And so I'm like, every yeah. these all go right back. The Wall of Respect was a wall of icons from the Harlem Renaissance and the 60s and all of that. It all goes back to it. Yeah. So how can you not be inspired? Like, I love what I get to do. You know what I love about I'm a body language person. And there's certain moments when you talk about certain things, you have this, like, really authentic smile. <laughs> That's super dope because it, it just means you're very passionate about what you do. Yeah. And you're people that take passion in something and, and they, in turn, try to put that passion to other people. Like, hey, look at this. This is cool. Let me know yeah. you real quick. Like, this is cool. You spark the plug in somebody that's going to lead some type of revolution, some type of creation. They're going to make some type of art that's going to impact somebody else to be a nerd about it. Be like, come look at this. This yeah. is cool. So what are some of your favorite artists Ooh. in any facet? Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so one person that, like, struck me the first time, I think the first time that um, me and my daughter, like, jointly had, like, a visceral reaction to what was around us mm. was... Um, Bisa Butler's quilt show at the Art Institute of Chicago. So she does quilts, but they're portrait quilts. 
um, high color. She uses a lot of different different fabrics, but she makes sure that she incorporates like African and Ankara um, textiles in her work. Ankara? What's um, Ankara? It's like a, a form of like West African fabric that's very colorful and heavy in pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure if I showed you, you would know what it is by seeing it. People probably just don't know it has a name. Mm-hmm. Um, Point and, in case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we walked through her exhibition. It's like four or five rooms at the Art Institute. And I don't like driving to Chicago, but I drove to Chicago for this. Um, and I took my daughter. And there's a quilt that she saw that, like, mimicked the exact hairstyle that she had that day. And so it was a point for the first time, because I've taken her to several museums. Um, that's just what you get being related to me. Is if we're going somewhere, we're going to a museum. It's a museum. Yeah. Day night museum. Oh, yeah. And so um, it was the first time that she lit up by seeing herself reflected in a formal space like that. How did that feel seeing that? That was incredible. I had, like, goosebumps. Like, she's like, Mom, take my picture in front of this. Like, this is so cool. And she wanted to keep looking at it. And, um, you know, I hope that people find that experience somewhere in their life where they feel like you're seen. Yeah. Um, And I felt like Jersey felt like she was seen in that moment. And I loved it. And then for me, I'm like, I'm walking through. We're seeing all these different quilts, and they're massive. They're beautiful. Um, I love fashion. Fashion, to me, is a, an art form. And so the fact that she's taking textiles and using them to articulate portraiture in quilts is amazing. Um, but then, like, the icing on the cake for it, it was the first time that I had ever seen, like, music deployed hand-in-hand with the art. And so for every one of the quilts... There was a um, suggested song to listen to, and it was all hip hop. It's all hip hop and R and B. Wow! You yeah, got my attention. I was like, "What?" So it was it was my hands down my favorite exhibition to be able to walk through. Um, and so she single handedly is like an artist that has sparked something for me mm-hmm. um, in like my viewing experience. I mean, it also provided two things. It gave Everly Davis the individual uh, a moment to share with somebody she's very, you know, mm-hmm. your daughter. And it gave the mother experience to see something light up in her daughter. Yeah. Was that like the first time you saw that? Oh, yeah, for sure. So how did that feel as Everly Davis and as mom? Because that's, yeah. I mean, you're the same person, but that's yeah. two spears of who you are. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me as a mom, I was like, man, how do I do this again? How do, how do I make sure that, like, Because before then, you know, me saying that we're going to a museum, I had to find ways to keep her attention. I did not have to find a way to keep her attention in this exhibition. She wanted to lead me through. She did not want to leave. Um, And so it's like, how do we find a way to present this more often for people like Jersey? Because Jersey's not the only little brown kid walking around the United States. (laughs) No, there's a bunch of us. Right. So it's like... How do we recreate this for somebody else? But then how do we do this for, you know, me again, too? Because I've gone to several museums, but I don't love everything I see. But this one made me want to stop and stay a while. It spoke to you. Yeah, it spoke to me. So much so that I went back to Chicago on the last day of the exhibition. And I ran into the artist. Oh, so how was that moment? That was amazing. Did you have, Um, like, one of those, like, uh. (laughs) And it was during the pandemic. So everyone had on masks. yeah. And, like, also, if you don't know what the artist looks like, you would walk right by her and not know. Yeah. You know? Because it was not announced, like, Bisa Butler is in Gallery 3A. Like, you just 
had to walk by her and know who she was. <laughs> and then when people like pointed it out, then there was a crowd that flocked to her. There's a little murmur. Hey, that's Misa. Yeah. Oh, that's Misa over there. Oh my gosh, it was so cool. Um, and so I'm talking to her and we take a picture, um, but there's all these people around her and I could tell that she was getting overwhelmed. She did not intend for this to happen. Um, and she's kind of small in stature anyway. And so I am standing with Jersey and I have on a Keith Haring shirt and Keith Haring is another artist, um, someone that I like. Um, and she was like, you, I like your shirt. She's like, come here. I was like, me? Oh, she called you out. She called me out. I was like, me? And I was like, Jersey, come on. <laughs> um, and so we get up there, and she's like, look at my bag. And she's carrying a Keith Haring bag. She was like, I'm so inspired by that artist. I love him, too. That moment. I was like, dang. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, it all came together for me with that exhibition. Like, she is someone that huh. I like, and I immediately understood her point of reference. And then walking through her exhibition in the final room, there is a quilt of these five boys on Easter Sunday morning, um, and there's a famous photo in Bronzeville, Chicago, that was taken of these boys sitting on a car, and she created a quilt from that. And my day-to-day -day job is working with Bronzeville to Harlem. I knew exactly what photo she was referencing in that quilt. <laughs> so it was one of those things where, like, I could walk through her exhibition, I didn't need to read a label. I knew what was going on. Have you had a moment in your career so far, I don't know how long you've been doing this for, but where you had imposter syndrome before feeling validated? Yes. Take me through that. Because <laughs> um, I've just now started feeling validated. And I've been doing this for 16 years. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a grown man, but still like, hey, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it came. I didn't really start feeling validated, I think, until recently, to be honest with you. Like, I would say, like, in the last couple months. Really? Um, because before then, I felt like, well, anybody could do this research. Like, I'm not actually an authority on any of this. Because when I met you, I have full confidence, yo. Oh. I was like, oh, the, she knows oh, well, what thanks. she's doing. Oh, well, thanks. Like, when I met you, I was like, oh, no, that's a confident lady. She knows her stuff. She's <laughs> on P's and Q's. And to hear this now, I'm like, oh, you know, she put the professional face on. I, I was mean, like, yeah. I'm very glad that I can mask so well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me too, yo. You did great. <laughs> thanks. Um, but, no, it was, I think for me, I just thought if it was something that somebody else could easily do, um, then I'm not the authority on this. I don't have anything that's truly unique. Mm. So it's not my, why am I confident in this ability or this skill, quote unquote skill, that anybody could have, right? Mm. And it wasn't until we shot the documentary for Bronzeville to Harlem, which we'll release later this month and be showing regularly at the museum. Nice. Um, Can't wait to watch that one. That'll yeah, nice. no, you should definitely come see it. Um, that's when I felt like I was more of, no, this is, I I have something that's special and that's different that I don't think anybody else has um, in the lane of the type of stories and storytelling that I engage myself with. Mm. Um, because we were looking for a historical authority to bring in for this um, documentary to help articulate the stories that are held within Bronzeville to Harlem and highlight them thematically. And, you know, I was a part of, I, I created the outline, really, uh, the initial outline for this documentary, how it should be segmented, what are the stories that should be highlighted, how do they go together, how can you transition from one to the other um, to help the director understand because this was her first foray in, in this genre of history. Um, and so we were looking for someone, looking for someone, and then finally John was like, I, really, I think you are that person. 
How did it feel to like, hear that? Like, why don't you just do that? How did it feel, like, hearing that? Oh, I thought I was going to throw up. <laughs> I was like, what? It was what? initially like, <laughs> I was like, no, me? <laughs> did your body just like, Yeah, just tensed up. I was like, what? Um, but no, I've had to, to learn how to come into my own because I do realize that there are people that have certain specialties, but not my blend. I have a unique mix. Um... I think and specialty so, is just passion. It's just a word for passion. Yeah. I think if, if you're very passionate about something, if you do it long enough mm-hmm. and you practice in and out and you don't just make it a nine to five. Right. You eat, sleep, breathe it. Oh, it's yeah. something you do like the moment you have with your child. Like mm-hmm. it's this entire summation of like your passion in life finally yeah. coming out and people recognize, oh no, she's dope. She knows her stuff. Yeah. Cause she read, you know, she read, she painted, she, yeah. she talked, she had dialogue and not just conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot. It's just your life of doing this yeah. is caught up to your passion. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's a great feeling. It is. You know and it's mean? crazy because I never thought I would um, work in a museum. But to be honest, I never really knew what I was going to do. So as a child, what was, like, the thing you wanted to do? Oh, as a kid, I used to say I wanted to be the first African-American female president. And Mm then I, like, got older and saw how people talked about presidents. And, like, I just was kind of turned off to, like, politics in general. And I was like, I do not want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was just kind of, like, lost, you know? Mm. But not really, like, I had to find an answer immediately. It didn't scare me to be lost. I was like, there are things... That I can do. Um, so you just enjoy the process the yeah. entire time. Yeah. I have not. Well, you know, there's moments. <laughs> there's moments I very much enjoy the process. And there's moments where I'm like, God, I need a raft. <laughs> like, yeah. help me out. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can see that, like, in what I graduated with from Bradley. Like, I was a triple major in Spanish, sociology, and religious studies. What do you do with that? You know, I was just saying triple major. <laughs> I, I went to the TV for TV radio. And I think I have a, two minors. I have a minor in philosophy and um, in psychology. <laughs> what, what am I doing? I'm hosting podcasts. Like, you know, so I was like, what do you what do you do with that? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Cause those are the things that I like. So I'm going to keep saying yes to the things that I like. Did you have that? No one thought because of your faith, or is that just your mentors in life, your grandfather, grandmother, mom, dad, instilled that trust? Like, it just go with it. You got it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Stumped you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> if I get one of those in an interview, then I'm doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because, like, mean... I was raised in the church, Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. I grew up altar boy, taught Sunday school. Mm-hmm. I left the church for a while because there was things I just weren't yeah. at peace with. I'm starting to find my way back now, but I've always kind of had the eh, take the wheel, God. Mm-hmm. I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna work my ass off to get it. Yeah, and I'm gonna trust God got the rest of it because yeah. I got no control over. I got no control on. Mm-hmm. And there's moments where I'm like, really, dude? Like, I'm trying. Yeah. Like those moments of being lost. Yeah. You ever had those moments where like just completely felt lost? I see. Yes. <laughs> and in those moments, it feels like you can't breathe. Oh, because my God, it's like, yeah. Um, if I ever lose my why, I might not know the what or the how, but I have to have a why. Like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why would I say yes to this project? Why 
do I want to give my time to this? If I have my why, I'm okay. And I don't really have to figure out what the what is so much. Like. So you set up me asking this question. This is going to be my last question in the interview, but we're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. What is your why? I think it depends on the season of my life, to be honest with you. You're giving me great answers. I like <laughs> this. But these are good quotables. <laughs> um, so what's the season you're in right now? Yeah, right now for me, it is um, set up who Everly Davis is, like, public facing, I guess. So, mm. like. You made peace with who you are inwardly. Yeah. Now it's the outward public face that you yeah. have to put out there. Mm-hmm. And what's the struggle with that? I don't think there is one. It's just finding the right opportunities that allows me to articulate who I am to everyone that's watching me. Hmm. It just seems like you got your hands tied or have had your hands in a lot of different things in this community while you're figuring out your identity. Yeah. And after all these years of doing it, you say you now feel like the imposter syndrome's gone. You Mm -hmm. figured that out. Yeah. How does this moment feel? Like as we bring it full circle to the event that we have this Monday upcoming. Yeah. Like, that's got to be one big notch, and this is Everly Davis. Yeah. She knows her stuff. She's going to talk to her community that she grew up in, mm-hmm. at the church she went to, mm-hmm. and an event that she attended with her family. Yeah. Grandparents who were mentors growing up yeah. put you down this path, and you get to experience this all with your daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, all this in one moment. No pressure. Right, right. No pressure. Don't slip up. But But emotionally, mentally, spiritually, Mm -hmm. physically, how are we going into this? Yeah. Like, how are we prepping your your speech? And, like, what are some things you got? Like, okay, I got to make sure I touch on this Mm -hmm. because it impacted me and I want to impact people. Yeah. So I think mentally I'm still, like, in a fog right now processing everything emotionally I'm very heightened right now so it I just feel an immense responsibility but also um like like I have to like make my family proud doing this I know they're proud already but it's just like it's in our space like we used to go to this space every single Sunday so I have to do something right here you know and it's also the space that like I really started to learn how to public speak. It was at church. So this is coming full circle for me. So then spiritually, it's kind of like, look at God. You know? like Message. Like, look at this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, God works in very mysterious ways. Yeah. When you think about it. And I was like, this is this is really cool. You know? Um, and it's it just kind of makes me pause hmm. um, to have this opportunity at this time. You know, for a time such as this. <laughs> That's definitely been a line in one of your favorite books somewhere. <laughs> Everly, like, I, I could probably talk to you for hours, it seems like. Like, you have a lot <laughs> of great things going. And I think the question I have for you is, if you were to have a moment in time to go back and talk to a little girl that's with her grandfather yeah. in these classrooms... Just experiencing life, and you now at this age you can talk to her. What would you tell her? Man, I don't know that I would tell her to do anything differently. Really, no because, regrets. Because if anything was done differently, I, it it could change something else later on. Every mistake that happened needed to happen. Every success that you had 
you needed to have. I agree. Um, anytime you felt off about something and you did it anyway because you were still scared about it, yeah, push through that fear. It's fine. Like, fear can turn into energy for motivation and dedication and all of that. So I think I don't, I don't know that I would tell her anything differently. I think I would just look at her and smile. <laughs> Uh, have you been able to fall in love with yourself yet? I have an appreciation for myself. I don't know if I've fallen in love with myself. I'm a work in progress, though. That's yeah. still on my list of things. Yeah. There are certain things for me that I appreciate. Um, like, I don't really get FOMO. I oh, know. I do like being lame in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and even beyond that, like, people are like, oh, we got this going on. I was like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm going to watch this documentary <laughs> and drink this ginger tea. You wish you were here. <laughs> you know? like Mine's like, I got some cinnamon tea cooking. I'm about to watch this music doc. <laughs> yeah. like Or I'm getting ready to go to St. Louis. Like, I, I'm not even someone that just appreciates, like, formal art within a museum. I just like creative expression, largely. Mm. So I'm all about spoken word. I also love music. I love film. Um, but like visual art is one of those things that I really, really love. And so like I'll pop over to St. Louis for like a graffiti festival. Like they got graffiti festivals in St. Louis. Yeah, tell me about it's these. St. Louis. I went this past year. I'm gonna go the next year too. Um, it's at like the is it like Labor Day weekend or something like that. Isn't every that coming year. up? Is that September? September. Tell me about this because yeah. I'm down. Like, yeah, like I drove to Bentonville, Arkansas for my birthday, like maybe a year ago. Um, for Format Festival. And Format. it's um, music, art, and technology all combined into a three-day music festival. What? I went there, and they had different, like, um, VR art installations. Like, they basically build, like, this tiny city in, like, this big field. And they have, art like, international artists come, and they create these installations. There was one um, art installation that had to do with different smells coming out of these, like, abstract, like, sculptures that were supposed to tr help trigger certain memories for people. Like, there are certain smells that we all have probably encountered, but they trigger something different for us. Like, this is my ex, no? <laughs> <laughs> it could be uh, very triggering. <laughs> you need to go to therapy, fool. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds um, like my second ex-girlfriend oh in my gosh. life. <laughs> but, like, you know, there's just creative expression generally. But then I also got to like see really cool musicians that I love. I got to see Lito Pimienta perform live. I got to see, um, oh shoot, this is gonna kill me. What is his name? Gallant. Mm -mm. Oh, he's dope. Piano. Um, Piano. This is gonna kill me. That's cool. I'll edit it out. Not lie. I'm gonna keep in here so y'all no! can see. <laughs> no! uh, I was so excited to see him too, and I I wanted to see him live specifically because I knew that my I remember listening to him with my grandpa, and when I got um, back, I was like, Grandpa, guess who I saw? Yeah. Um, because I didn't know if I was gonna get to go to that um his session, um because there were so many other venues at this place. Is your grandfather still in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's gonna be there Monday. Oh, he'll be there Monday. Ooh, yeah. That's, does that add pressure or does that soothe you more? Soothes me. Because he gets to see the woman you develop into. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's been like my biggest cheerleader since I was since I was small. And he's not super overt either. He's not like, yeah, I really like, let's go. It's just there's a very subtle like smile and nod. And that's when you know that you've done well. He just takes it in. Like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And he's always mm -hmm. been that way. He's not one to like gas me up, you know, and I appreciate that. 
you like the authenticity of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't the one, Everly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's dope, yo. That I'm from the outside looking in. I've had a moment like that where my parents got to finally see me in action, mm-hmm. and the response they gave me afterwards gave me that validation. Like, yeah. okay, no, they see it. Forget everybody else. As long as they see it and they know I'm on my path that God set yeah. for me, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that's when my imposter syndrome went away. Yeah. So it's gonna be awesome for you to share that moment just with your entire family and your congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one last ditch effort. Let's tell everybody about this event Monday and let's sell them on it and why they got to go. Besides, it's going to be an emotional moment for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely come to the commemorative service and um, the, the award ceremony at Bethlehem United Methodist Church. It's from 2.30 to 3.30. Um, the topic I'll be speaking on is staying rooted. I'm very excited to share my story and hopefully get people to think about where their roots are and how they can bloom where they're planted. Mm, and clearly you love Peoria. I do. What do you love most about it? It's a city that I felt like I could navigate. And while I may not be here for forever, I think I'll always have a little piece of me here. Like even if I go and live somewhere, I still would love to have a home to come back to here. It's affordable. Well, <laughs> I'm beyond like, I'm like, that. Joke, 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 joke. So there's a good like mix uh, yeah. and, and quality here. Peoria has a very solid heart. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I've gravitated the most while being here, to piggyback on your point, is just when people believe in you, they fully like they're enthralled into the message yeah. that you got. And I've been feeling that a lot lately. I'm like, oh. This is what it, this is what love feels like. Yeah, like people are willing to embrace you here, and you're they're open and ready to build relationships. I'm not saying that everyone is like automatically friendly neighbors and connected, but mm. there is the opportunity to create that here. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And Monday, you about to create a whole new experience for our community. So yeah. that's amazing. I'm trying to. Um, before we head out, who? What question do I want to hit you with? Softball, or hardball. What do you wish your daughter gets from your story once it's all said and done? Can I change the softball? No. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Walters does that, not Ross Martinez. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but we can change if you like, because I like you good people. You want a softball answer? Um, no, I can try. I can try. Um. I think above all else, I want Jersey to understand from my story that you will figure yourself out if you give yourself time to figure yourself out. And it's okay. All of the growing pains and whatnot and the mistakes and and weird stuff that happens, it's okay. It's part of it. You don't Mm. want it to be perfect. Mm -mm. I smile at all my dumbass decisions I've ever made in my life. Oh, yeah. All the, I could have went this way, but I chose to go this way because of my stubbornness. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Next time, I was less stubborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a beauty in failure. Yeah. I also want her to understand the impact that she has had just by existing on my life. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Um, I think I was just kind of riding on, you know, yeah, I get A's in school, and that's fine. I'll just get a regular job. But... The fact that she exists and I feel like I have an audience 
at all times for what I'm doing. And also she, just her existence informs my decisions. Like when I was creating the Annie Malone exhibition at the museum, I was thinking about, okay, how are adults like me going to go through here and how are kids like Jersey going to go through here? It made it very personal. I, I did. How am I going to impact every little black girl? Because Jersey is essentially me mm-hmm. at eight years old. What would have, what would eight-year-old Everly like to have seen and done and gotten out of this? How could I make her feel special and beautiful in this space? Um, but then, you know, also just doing things like at the museum. Every uh, semester, I get a different intern from the African American Studies Department at Bradley. And every single one of those people has been black. I am slowly but surely bringing more people of color into the museum. And so it's like creating that space and that channel for people like Jersey one day. If she wants to work in a museum, there is a precedent set for her to do that. Um, Yeah, so she she definitely factors into everything that I do. No, I love that. That's amazing, yo. And when it's all said and done, she'll see it. If not, she'll listen to this one day. So, she doesn't seem to be Friday. Listen uh, to it. No, she doesn't seem to be impressed by anything. No, <laughs> that I do. That your mom? She don't understand mom. how dope mom is. I'm She's just, just like, mom. you're just mom. Stop embarrassing me with your speeches, mom. Yeah, like one of the dads at um like school pickup showed her a video of like me on the news at some point. She was like, "Mom, I saw you on the news." I was like, "Did you like it?" She was like, "It's whatever." She's not impressed yet. She will be. <laughs> yeah, Give her so. some time. <laughs> Give her some time, yo. Well, uh, any last messages you got? Anything you want to get out? Nothing I can think of. What's your favorite song? Mm. <laughs> I like how that's a stumper. Mm. I'm going Al Green, Love and Happiness. I could listen to Turn Your Lights Down Low any time of the day. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a real good one. I could listen to that any time of day. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. With that being said, it's been another episode of the KZ Community Beat. I am your host, Ross Martinez. Boop, 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 boop. That's the budget we got. And this is <laughs> Hey, one of these days, one of the superiors is going to listen to this. They're like, Ross, what are you doing? I'm like, give me a budget. <laughs> jokes, jokes, maybe. Cough, wink, message. Um, alongside me for this episode, the guest speaker for the two or 2024 Martin Luther King Freedom Vehicle Parade and Commemorative Service. Also, the assistant curator and community engagement coordinator over at the Peoria Riverfront Museum, Ms. Everly Davis. Yay! Yay. What sound effect would you like? I want. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we went with. Right. <laughs> Go back and listen to the. <laughs> You threw me off the game on that Sorry. one. I was not expecting that. Go back and listen to all the other episodes, or Everly will go out front of your house and do that exactly. Oh, yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Is that your best DMX? No. Oh, man. But I would love if there could be like a DMX sound effect. Give me your best now. DMX. No, I can't. Before we end the podcast, I'm get not there. shaming myself. Like I'll that. do it. Only if you do it. I'm not doing it. Pinky? No. <laughs> I'm all right, doing though. It. <laughs> Tune in next time to find out if we do this.